0: The Gran School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business.
1: Well, I think I'm gonna go straight to questions from the audience and I'll yeah. sprinkle in a few as we go along. We'll take a few minutes to, to respond. Okay, so I saw the hand at the back right there first, so we'll start with you. And speak up so we can all hear, and that'd be great.
0: Oh, it's a great question. Um, we had um, we talked five or six years ago about stepping up, and and if we were going to be a glo- global brand, that we needed to manu- find a place to manufacture the product. Um, duties and tariffs, shipping finished goods from here to there just wasn't working. It wasn't an effective business model as you could well understand. So there are many choices, China, Pakistan, India, I mean there were lots of choices, but Thailand came through for a number of reasons. Number one, we own the, we own the dirt. We own the land, we own the building, we have title to it, and there are employees. We're not hiring contract manufacturing from somebody else to deliver to us. We own it all, and they report to us and they will meet our exact standards. So those are our employees. That's very important to us. Number two is Bangkok or Thailand is the fourth largest sugar producing country in the world. And uh, so we have access to sugar and we have access to tapioca syrup. And tapioca syrup is non-GMO so we can make those products for Marks and Spencer and other Western European countries that demand non-GMO product. Um, The incentives that the Thai government offered were in a duty-free zone. So we get to import and export duty-free. And we have uh, business incentives that go out several years for training and, and establishing business there. And when you add it all up, it just made sense for us to go to Thailand.
1: Can you tell us what GMO means?
0: Genetically Modified Organism, okay. yeah. You, we don't know hey, much she- about it here. It's a big ticket item in the U.K., got in England. They, they're obsessed with it. Yes.
1: Hi. Right here, <laughs> and then we'll come over here.
0: So actually, my company works with uh, camps uh, for kids with diabetes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my company works with camps for children with diabetes. Yes. N- have you explored uh, producing your product in the sugar-free? We do, we do, we do make it in sugar-free right now. Yeah, we have many of our flavors available. I didn't notice it in your, in your uh, presentation, which is why I was asking uh, it. it. It's, it's not a big part of our business, but we do, uh, we do sugar-free in a number of our brands. And um, um, one of the things that, uh, uh, that we found was, sugar, was sugar-free, um, is that it does have a mild laxative effect, so you don't w- there's not. You don't want to eat a large quantity of it.
1: <laughs> does that that's make sense? That's good to know, because that would actually <laughs> be much better than some of the laxatives that are out there. So yeah. We'll have to remember that. <laughs> we'll have to remember that one. <laughs> no, that's good. Over here.
0: I'd like to ask you, how do you plan to manage uh, what seems to be a knowledge management problem that's coming up, You mentioned that you have this expert which is a number one and there's nobody like him and the other who works with him and, I mean, it seems that the flavors and the new things come from a core number of people. How do you continue to transmit their knowledge or replace them over time? Great question. That's a great question. Yeah, I I was um, half kidding about Ambrose. He is very important to us. There are a few people that are more important. We do have uh, a number of food scientists that work for us. Our, our, our biggest source of, of flavor ideas come from flavor companies. We have 40 different flavor company vendors that we work with around the world. And we're the first one when they try or want to try something new, we're the first ones to get to see any new essence or any new flavor profile because they know what we can do with it. So we've got ourselves in a good position there. Um, you know, sustainability over a period of time as we're developing, it, it's just, core to what we do. It's a very collaborative um, um, practice that we have, and ideas surface from, like I said, our own employees and from a number of different sources. And um, we, we just talk about it all the time. I don't think there's a meeting that we go to where we don't talk about the next new idea. And so it's just ingrained in us and it's the expectation that we have. So. Um, I think that we're doing a good job of the new people that come on board that understand that that's very much a part of their job description and their role and the expectation we have as a company is always bring those ideas forward. Now, obviously we can't do everything with, with all of them and part of our challenge is to identify the ones that we can truly do something with, so. Right yes? Kurt. Can you talk a little bit about the idea of vetting process and then once it's accepted, how quickly you're actually able to implement that into your stream of business? Probably one of our, our core competencies, our biggest strengths is our speed to market and decision-making processes. We're a very uh, lean organization. Uh, we can move things, ideas very, very quickly from, from R&D. We don't, we, we use our instincts and intuition. We've been at this a long time. We know intuitively when something will work. We don't have to go uh, test it or try it. it, just, it's, it's, uh, it it's just something that, that, uh, that's worked for us. Um, once we decide what we 're going to do, and we do this in a, in a number of ways, um, our executive group gets together. We have a panel that does all that does tasting together, and uh, we circulate ideas that way. But once we get it into r and d and they come back over, it moves very very quickly and Because we control every aspect of the packaging design and the creative and the marketing and promotion behind a product like that, um, we can turn things around in a heartbeat and uh, Um, I I showed you the fruit snacks for Costco. It came from their idea to the shelf in five and a half months. And just to show you, that's a co-branded item at Costco. And just to show you how quickly we can do things. So we're real proud of that. I think it's the strength of what we do.
1: Related to that, you talked about being a lean organization. You told me earlier that you have 17 direct reports.
0: So I must ta- be crazy. You
1: must be, yeah. A little bit <laughs> crazy. No. so talk a little bit about the philosophy that leads to oh. to a structure like that, and why that's so effective.
0: Well, um, it it works. First of all, you, you, I have very very strong uh, staff that are responsible for all the functional parts of our business, and they know what the expectations are and um, and how to deliver to them. And we just provide a, I just provide the guidance and direction and a little a little bit of of interaction, but for us it's it 's working across functional areas and and I can break down I personally can break down all the barriers that can exist or m- might exist when you have layers of management or silos and we just we just we just it doesn 't exist because we just don 't allow it to and it, it uh, 's not an option whether you choose to work together collaboratively. Um, uh, to deliver the expected outcome. It is very much an expectation that I have. And so wherever we run into those kinds of obstacles, we eliminate them very quickly. And it makes everybody focus on the prize. It makes everybody focus on the outcome that you're looking for. And so um, I think it's to our advantage not to have the layers of management that are involved. It only complicates things and slows down the processes and creates bottlenecks. So I hope that it no, that's it, it's not, yeah. it, I know it's not, um, uh, contemporary. Not textbook. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> it not works not well for you all, it and it's so it's hard to argue with our success. Yeah. For doing this, yes. Know. From an HR standpoint, how do you select people that will buy into your culture? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, uh, it, you know, it, 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 at Jelly Belly, our culture—it's it's not so much um, what you do; it's how you do it. So when I'm interviewing for key positions. And I sit on most interviews, I, I, I'm using my own instincts and intuition to look for somebody who um, is, who I feel is is uh, very, um, is not self-serving, doesn't have a personal agenda, who wants to contribute um, uh, to, the, you know, to the benefit of the company and add value where they can, and not look to um, advance their own personal agenda or take, take credit or place blame. They have to let go of all those things. They have to let go of their ego, they have to be willing and free to accept the culture that we have in a non-threatening way and and want to be able to um, uh, maintain that those are the important values that we have as an organization. And so if I sense that that's just not going to work, it just doesn't fit for their personality type, um, you know, that's what I'm guided by. Yeah. And I think all of our managers that hire are higher guided by the same thing. It's, it's how you do it. Yeah. I'm Something great. You you don't want them to take. um, What did you say? Don't. I mean, don't take. Take credit, and and, but don't blame. But also, how do you acknowledge them uh, so that they feel really great about what they've done? Yeah, recognition is important, and um, I think that recognition is more meaningful when it's done in a very sincere, forthright manner. And it doesn't have to be done in public. But that's your job as a manager is to recognize. That's not. I, I don't like people that are raising their hand trying to draw attention to themselves or beat their own drum. I mean, that to me, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm insulted by that, but that's my job as a manager to know what they do and how they do it and what they've contributed. And so I think all of our managers understand that, and they recognize people for what, what they do um, in a very private way and make them feel good about their contributions, and then we, and we celebrate together. I hope that answers your question. Yeah,
1: I'm going to go back here to the back.
0: As a family business, how do you deal with succession planning? <laughs> That's a sore subject. Uh, <laughs> um, the, you know, one thing about, I've, I've only worked in family-owned businesses. I can't tell you anything different. I worked at Rayleigh's and it was family-owned. So I've, there are so many parallels between the two. I mean, when I started at Raley's, there were 12 stores. When I left, there were 150 doing $3 billion. And so it was just this rapid growth. And um, and it's hard when you go down to the next generation. When Tom Rayleigh was alive, uh, there were no issues. When Joyce Rayleigh, she's the only kid, no issues. She has seven kids, issues, right?
1: And, and grandkids
0: now, big issues.
1: Why do you think? that this family has been so successful through six Uh, generations, because most family-owned businesses don't make it past the third generation, why have they been so successful? Are there any keys, do you think, to sort of that family and their values that have led to that?
0: Well, I think they never lost sight of who, where they came Mm -hmm. from. The one thing that they have is such a great respect for their heritage, and what, what put them in this position, and all the hard work that's gone before them. And, um, they're wonderful historians. I mean, our, 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 uh, the, the four kids in Herm, have done a marvelous job of, of keeping track of all the stuff that's happened since the late 1800s, since their great-grandparents uh, immigrated here. And um, uh, they're very proud of their th- that fact. And so there's this respect that they have. And they have respect for everybody that's gone before them. Their, their parents, certainly, and all the hard work. And everything that's been done to prepare them for this opportunity, and the Jelly Belly came along in the late 70s, and it was, you know, it was, it was, um, that was their recognition and reward for all the hard work. The kids today have a very common respect for, for each other and they all have very functional jobs. I was hired more professional management to, to fit in and, and contribute where I can and to help them learn the business at a, at a, at a different level. And I know what my role is and um, uh, they, we all get along just, just fine, but uh, I, I couldn't ask for a better situation. They have a lot of respect for their father and, um, uh, and everything that's gone before them. And, uh, there's not a jealous bone in their body. I think that's what helps, too. They, mm-hmm. they root for each other's success, and that helps a lot. That's yeah.
1: great. Okay, we'll take these two questions, and then we'll bring this to a close. So we'll start here and then go back. <coughs> well, Bob, first, thank you for a very entertaining, uh, presentation. <laughs> I've got two brief questions. The first
0: is, would it be true to say that your company has probably the most expensive dental plan in the world <laughs> <laughs> and the second one is more interesting for me though, what are your acquisition criteria oh that 's good um, um, as far as dental work, yeah, I think that's the, the, the demonization of sugar as we call it you know I think sugar 's a good thing you know everybody groups it's a good thing you know i mean it 's a, it's a, part, a part of a healthy diet right <laughs> just like ice cream you don 't eat a half a gallon of ice cream, so don 't eat too. Or a four pound jar of Jelly that's Bellies, right, you'll be, right. fin- <laughs> you'll be fine. You'll be fine. A little bit of sugar a is a good jar. thing. You know, it, and it's interesting, I think, that that's, that's such a media thing and, and as I, we've learned about Jelly Belly and nutrition and we've become more focused on those things, I've learned a lot about sugar and I've sat on the executive board of the NCA and I know that this is very much an, a media type of issue. And it kind of, you know, comes and goes, but it gets blamed for obesity now and hypertension and all those sort of thing. The fact is that that uh, there is no spike and crash. See, but that's, that's, a, that's the perception that's out there. There is a rise in gl- glucose, blood level sugar, but it doesn't crash. It goes back to normal. If it crashes, it goes back, then you're really diabetic is what the problem is. But there's always this perception of a spike and a crash, and that doesn't happen. So that's and just a misconception. And your acquisition
1: criteria.
0: Acquisition criteria, we don't have any. Family, I mean, you know, Herm's family, and these are family businesses, knew that family, and the Sunkiss brand is something that uh, that we all thought would be a good fit for us. And it was a phone conversation, and they had a handshake over the phone and said, Work out the details.
1: You don't see business done like that much anymore. No, do you? no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll conclude with your question back um, here. You know,
0: I, I looked at this packet, it's spray. I thought April 1st has got to be something to do with <laughs> This is the first time I've been to a, a meeting like this where people have not really talked about competition. And it seems that you may have an interesting background to that. You've not talked about any of your competitors. Is it because you're so focused and, uh, to do the right thing for your customers that yeah. you don't worry about it? Or is, is there something behind that? Well, that's a, gra- that's a great question. Um, we don't look in the rear view mirror. You know and not much, um, we, a lot of people copy what we do and, um, and we do what we have to do legally to protect ourselves all over the world. As you all know, that's a big, that's a big item. I spend a lot of time with attorneys doing that. Um, but our focus is on the next best thing and we want to be the ones that, that discover that. So that's, that's, I, I, I can't say it any, any, any clearer than that. Uh, um, in the candy industry, I will tell you this, that it, 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 it it's a unique industry in the fact that that we all contribute to it, and we, we root for everybody's success. It's, it's not competitive like the beverage industry or any of those others that are just so at each other's throat. Um, these are families that would help out. If, if we had a fire and our warehouse burnt down, we'd have 15 phone calls from companies saying, what can we do to help you? And we do the same for them, and that's what's been done, and that's the expectation. I just went to the Western Candy Conference. These are all family-owned o- and, ru- and run businesses, and we socialize together. We went on cruises. We did, you know, you just, you, you sit at each other's table and you ask and you reconnect and build those relationships. It's mostly social. It's, there wasn't very little to do with the business part of the agenda for the whole conference. But it's a, it's a unique industry in that way. And, um, um, but I think for us to be successful, we, we need to do what we need to do and we need not worry about what anybody else is doing.
1: Wonderful. I'm going to close with one question. <laughs> I actually asked him this. We we did an interview prior to uh, the reception and, and the event tonight, and it will be podcast, so you can go online or to iTunes and you can actually hear that. It was probably about a 25-minute interview. So if you want to hear a bit more about some of these issues and some things maybe we didn't talk about in detail, you can certainly do that. But the concluding question I asked for him, ask him on that, and I'll ask him now, uh, is related to kind of what we try to accomplish as a business school. Our mm-hmm. mission, as I told you then, was is to develop value-centered leaders, and so share with this group kind of what you did uh, on the podcast just about what you see as maybe some of the core values that are important to you as a leader and that sort of drive how you make your decisions yeah. in the organization.
0: Um, uh, those are great questions. I don't, I d- I don't really think of, ter- think of it in terms of, of, of you know leadership <laughs> traits that, that, that were strong and I think that that um, um, uh, you know leaders lead by example. I mean, you've got to be willing to do it. Uh, uh, The example I used uh, for Linda was that our owner has built a culture there, and he's done it by, if there is a paper on the floor, he'll pick it up. If something's broken, he'll fix it right then. If something, there's a mess over there, he'll stop what he's doing and clean it up himself. He won't ask for help. He won't expect anybody to run over and help him. Now, that sends a very powerful message the rest of the organization and there is nothing uh, beneath anyone in there and if you I- that's what i'm looking for a fit that, that that understands what their role is and that can fit into an organization that's built uh, with that kind of culture but we remember where we came from and appreciate all the things that we have today and, um, uh, okay. so for our, for our leaders, it's to take that message and make sure that those expectations, the people that we hire and that work for them understand it, and the people they manage understand it. And so to perpetuate that, that's what we're really looking for.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Kay. We really appreciate having you here and appreciate what oh, you've shared you shared with us. Thank, thank, you, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Larry, thank you for connecting us with Bob. We really appreciate that. And it's so wonderful to see all of you here tonight. We hope that you'll come back to some of the events that we have coming up in the future and just appreciate so much your support of the school and the work that Larry does up here. And we'll look forward to being back soon. So thank you. Thank and have you. a good evening. Thank you.